0: We stand on the unceded lands of the Kuli Nation. We acknowledge the Wurundjeri and Boon peoples, custodians of the lands on which we work, and we pay our respects to elders past, present, and emerging. Sovereignty has never been ceded. It always was, always will be Aboriginal land.
1: You, know, you can come into this environment and all of a sudden you know in five years time you've gone from beginner to intermediate to advanced you've created a whole new social scene we, we took ten the first ten tours that we ran in West Africa we had 20 people there were ten marriages cross-cultural exchange you could call it I mean people are um, ostensibly coming for um, you know to, to learn a drum but they're coming back to Australia with a husband you know And, you know, I went every year for 25 years and and now I haven't been for five years and I'm about to go in two weeks.
0: Welcome back to In Curiosity Complex, where we are dealing with diversity and inclusion from the perspective of African Australians in Melbourne. We're calling the theme, Nice Black Aussies. So welcome back. And for those who are joining us for the first time, welcome aboard. I want to thank the loyal listeners who, as it turns out, in addition to your loyalty, you are doing a terrific job spreading the word about this podcast. It's the one surest way that our new podcast reaches a wider audience. So thank you so much. Chapter 3. At the Fed Square... When you walk south from the main square down the stairs, a panoramic background of a tranquil cityscape view attends to your senses along with the Yarra River glimpse. And in your foreground is a river terrace, a scenic walkway running east-west from the Princess Bridge continuing westward to Birarung Ma, a park built to blend with the cultural significance of the area. Along the river terrace walkway, Gothic posts made out of cast iron are mounted on an embankment. That embankment safeguards you from a 30-foot drop. Eucalyptus trees provide spots of shade, and underneath a thicker canopy of sycamore trees, kids, parents, and perhaps grandparents formed a horseshoe. At its mouth, two or three Ghanaians were thumping African djembe drums. Many more drums scattered in front of the Ghanaian men. The men urged on the crowd to get closer one by one, Someone from the crowd summons the courage, approaches one of the many drums, crashes into a chair or on the ground, tucks a djembe drum between her thighs, looks left, looks right. More courage is issued by the drum leader and just as soon the thumping grows louder from the newest drum student. is going to go this deep on the drumming facet because I walk around and see, you know, at uh, the uh, Fed Square, all these drummers, and I kind of see kids there. I see women there. And, uh, you know, to me, I'm thinking, oh, well, you know what? Maybe this is, this is what's there for them. You know, they're not going to go around the, the, the beer stalls or the whatever. So they're just going to hang around this sort of, you know, community thing. But I didn't quite understand what's mm. underneath you know, like there's all therapeutic
1: things and... Um, women tend to come at these things with less ego than men, I would say.
0: This is Simon and he owns African drumming.
1: Some guys feel, they, they struggle with being taught by other guys, you know? Yeah. They, they have this sort of thing, oh, like I don't need this guy to be telling me how to do this. I can, <laughs> I can play the bongos already, you know? Um, you know, whereas women don't tend to have as much of a hang up or as much ego around, Joining a community and learning a new thing, from what I can tell. And while we have more women signing up for our drumming in general, and I've you know I've spoken to other teachers around Australia and we all kind of
0: agree. <laughs>
1: Um, I mean there's another thing going on here as well which I'll, I'll just touch on quickly it's the the drum and dance thing you know because as you as you know I'm sure you know drumming and dancing are inextricably intertwined where there is drum there is dancing it's the primordial thing that exists in all, all of us it's I mean it's fascinating when I used to I used to go to the park with my djembe or my band and I'd be drumming in St Kilda in the park right outside of primary school and the kids had finished class at the end of the day and they'd come out and they'd often just dance around yeah. these these six-year-olds seven-year-olds eight-year-olds nine-year-olds it's why, why aren't the adult the, t- the parents dancing around there's something happened that happens in us especially and and, and it's and this is what's it's interesting in, in in Ghana or in West Africa you know, you yeah. start dancing when you're, you're, you're one years old, and you keep dancing till you're 80 years old. Quite often. Nothing changes. The culture of dance is so ingrained that it's it's always there. And whatever whatever sparks you to dance, when you hear a certain rhythm or melody in West Africa, is is there. And, and they, the, the, the inhibitions that get into our minds in, in Western c- countries that d- don't exist so much in, in the traditional um, West African countries, for example. So over here, you, you're young, you hear music, you naturally want to dance. You don't have inhibitions, so you dance. But as we get older, something gets into our heads, doesn't it? It's this thing, it's this thing around, what is it? is it? Is it around showing off? Is it, is it around, oh, we sh- if, you, if you're dancing in front of other people, you're sort of, you're showing some side of you, which is a bit, which makes you feel uncomfortable. You know, so there's all this sort of psychological stuff that goes on with, with our cultures here, you know, Caucasian cultures that, 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 that override these natural primordial urges to dance to music. I mean that is that's that's fascinating in itself but what what i the the i think women in general get very attracted to the dance component of the music Mm. Uh, and that that is another reason why there's probably more women in the scene and and i think that also they're also attracted to the the masculinity of it there's this kind of Um, sexual element to what goes on with drumming and dancing which is very powerful and potent you know and women are very attracted to that you know Um, and you know I I I can make the statement around I can say this freely because I've, I've seen it on my tours, you know, I've seen a, a lot of um, Caucasian women coming to West Africa and having relationships with, with West African men. And, and that is a very um, strong, powerful attraction that exists for a lot of Caucasian women. And I think it really, it, to the point where it can really drive them to want to go to Africa or want to become part of a scene. They don't feel intimidated by that, they, they, they feel attracted to it. So I think that's another reason why a lot of women get into this, whereas males might not necessarily do so as freely.
0: Symbolisms of drum beats in Africa vary from region to region, but there are also acceptable generalizations, which is to say that drums are as much region-agnostic in Africa as they are a symbol that serves to unify, celebrate, and communicate. The origins of the jembe drums are in the western flank of Africa, which is present-day Mali, home of the Bambara people. The word djembe roughly translates to everyone gathered together in peace, underscoring the instrument's function. Although one would argue some severe uses include fans in stadiums cheering on their national teams in football matches. Weeks later, after the festival, I caught up with Fred, one of the drummers, in a converted warehouse.
2: Two minutes, and yeah. one more time, we're going to go to and then we go for solos. So you're going to give me a freestyle while we keep playing. You also come back. Then when you to freestyle, you come back to your rhythm. You also give me freestyle to finish it up. I want to try everybody. to give a freestyle
0: before we go. I
2: ask you to go for freestyle, just go. Like any reading, anything you want to do. Right, Yes. So let's start for the beginning. Drumming is part of our life. Our music is part of our life. Our everyday life in Africa is drumming and music. When you go back to the villages, we use drumming. Whenever they do farming, anything is go with drumming. Mm. Funerals, drumming. Mm. deba, drumming. It's our nature in Africa. Because we have music in us living as Africans, that is why when we are living in poverty, we don't feel it. We only feel it when, only when we are hungry, we need food to eat. But when we are not hungry that moment, we don't feel it. When you compare, where we come from the society and here, even here people are millionaires, they are rich, they get everything, but they're still not happy.
1: They're, not they're happy. looking for
2: the happiness <laughs> because they don't have the music in there. They don't have the everyday connected to nature. So the drumming does so much healing, bring people together. After two, three, four people gather and do African drumming, they all get up with so much joy, and you see the smiles, so the sound, say that the wood itself is a nature, the skin is animal, it's just a nature, we the human beings play with it, so three natures coming together. So you hit the drum, you call the sounds in you, the rhythms in you to awaken your energy, your spirit, and that takes so much, that heals you a lot. There's so many people, the spirit are sleeping, they need to be awakened, they need to <laughs> tap with something to get you awake. Drumming does so much, it takes your stress away. It takes so many things, you yeah. know, when you are in all this stress, this anxiety moment, when you do drumming, it heals you. Yeah. Children don't have stress, but it taps their energy. Their positive, The musical positive energy in them, it taps them. Mm-hmm. It brings joy. There's so many things going on with, in children's life. So not only with stress, but their everyday life it, itself. When a kid does like, especially the kinder, when they does drumming, it's like, you can see the joy. They can't even explain it. Yeah. So excited. Yeah. Yes. That shows what we got in Africa. We take this granted in Africa. Because it's our everyday life already. We don't see the value of it. But when you have it here, that's when you see it. Yeah, yeah. I do drumming worship and people get healed. And it's like, me, myself, I don't understand what makes the people feel like they're healed. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's what schools book us to do, workshops in schools Mm. and things and Mm. community centers and drumming. (laughs) We have team building, drumming build the team. When we are, you see what we are doing, doing the after two different rhythms, different rhythm for us to come. So together, three different yeah. rhythms coming together. It's teamwork. How do we work in a company as a teamwork? Mm-hmm. All this leads to that. It empowers. How you can be on yourself. The freestyle I asked you to do was your expression. Of we are having feeling. a meeting, we discussing about happiness, joy. How to build up a team. So you coming out doesn't mean you are better than all or everybody, mm-hmm. but you are bringing in what is in you and need to be accepted, mm. to be part of the routine. Mm. That's how we work as a team in a company or in a community in every way. So this is teamwork, they build team. So that's what I do.
1: I went every year for 25 years and, I, and now I haven't been for five years. Every January, I've been basically in West Africa for at least a month. That I'm really excited about going back there, and and I know as soon as I hit the ground, that wave, that smell, that miasma of heat, smell and sound that just just envelops you when you get out of the airplane, and and then it's all of a sudden it's like yeah, I, something very deep is just going to go. Well, wow, we're we're back, we're back in West Africa. At the start, you, it can quite often be a bit of a. Shock to the system when you've come from downtown St Kilda in Melbourne, and you're back in West Africa, and everything's very different. And it takes a few days to settle back into the, you know, the rhythm of Ghana or wherever I might be. It's always tough to leave. It's always like, wow, you know, you get to the end of, by the end of it, I'm, I'm really enjoying eating my fufu again, and I'm playing those rhythms and, and you know just experiencing all that beautiful happiness you know in what is often quite abject poverty you know you go through you, you experience some quiet communities where there is a lot of poverty you know in, in, our, in but yet there's so much happiness and 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 small amounts of depression and anxiety as well although, although the poverty's there so you ask yourself why why is that so why why are these people whole, you know um actually on the whole happier but oh. you know, but they maybe they don't have the same financial richness that we have, and it, it really makes you think about what it, what is really important in life. It's it's like community is so strong there. Big groups of family groups, and or or not family groups, being being together in a very strong community where everyone looks out for each other. You know, as opposed to uh, our concrete blocks that we live in here in, in in Australia. You know, and a lot of times you don't even know your neighbours. You know. It makes you examine that a little bit. Um, you can't help it if you spend a lot of time in Africa and, and, you, and you look at those sorts of things on a deeper level. So I always find that for me, I always get a spiritual reboot when I go to West Africa uh, and I come back feeling happier and a bit more stress off the shoulders, a bit of anxiety off the shoulders and just because I'm just getting something from, from the people there. It's pretty unusual, you know, to have that many trips to another part of the world over a period of time, so I feel like I can make some quite strong statements around how it has affected me.
0: (laughs) can i also sort of dig in on
2: the
0: um the, one of those the retreats that you have on in spring um I, I believe I've read somewhere where one of the participants was saying that they're saying that they enjoy going to those retreats because they get to be around like, like-minded people. Isn't that a little bit, I don't know, paradoxical? Where's the like-mindedness there? If, in fact, you sort of immersing yourself in a culture that is completely different from your culture.
1: Well, that's a great, that's a great question. And this is one of the amazing things about this community is that it's it's quite profound how many friendships and and um relationships and and you know marriages and have have spawned from you know retreats and, and tours and camps that we've run um over the years and people don't often realize what they're getting themselves into and i say this in a positive way they think they're coming along to learn a new instrument or just a new hobby you know and challenge themselves maybe on a physical level on a spiritual level on a A musical level, and but quite often, they walk away having a much deeper emotional experience and connection to other people. Realising that they're actually finding a community that share common values, not just affiliated with making music, but shared shared life values and common morals. And you know, you can come into this environment, and all of a sudden, you know, in five years' time, you've gone from beginner to intermediate to advanced. You've yeah. you've created a whole new social scene. We we took ten the first ten tours that we ran in West Africa. Well, there were ten marriages, cross cultural exchange you could call it. I mean, people are um, ostensibly coming for um, you know to, to learn a drum, but they're coming back to Australia with a husband. You know, it's um, you know back to your question about like mindedness, and you know you, you just discover you discover people with with similar philosophies to life and really you are connecting to people with um, free-spirited people, people that have got an open mind, people that are wanting to maybe, you know, expand their cultural horizons.
0: And uh, on this cultural exchange piece, uh, so you know how... um, one of the things that, one of the ways that you can really ensure authenticity of those exchanges would be to be precise in terms of how you're translating what it is that you're learning, for instance, on the ground. And one of the ways to ensure that, at least some of these scholars argue, is to have a, a familiarity which is oro, or oro, so O R. Yeah. Au, hey um, and, and I know that somewhere you quoted as saying that that's one of your custodial responsibilities to ensure the translation is on point. What I'm curious is how are you able to ensure that, I don't know the answer to this, but I'm going to hazard to say that you don't speak <laughs> Igbo or any of those West African country, uh, languages so i i do speak i can i'm pretty pretty well versed in
1: in gar which is the language of yeah you know the the Ah. um the ghanaian um coastal ethnic group of the gars so i do speak Ah. their language pretty well yeah and i can understand a lot of their 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 mother tongue um and and i've also made it you know a little bit of a, a tree which is the ashanti the akan language and um and i also i mean i've spent a lot of time studying f- french at school and french is obviously the 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 predominant la- language spoken generically across francophone west africa so th- those yep. things have given certainly given me cultural insight and i don't know more more depth of understanding of, of the culture and to develop respect from my teachers and and also ingratiate me to the local community a bit more. I think, I'm a big believer that if you learn people's mother tongue, it really does help to become part of the community on a deeper level. It's like, like learning what their food is about and, and learning to understand and eat their food, you know, and I think those things are important, yeah.
0: The, the sessions tend to be agnostic of one's expertise, for instance. Right, but if that's the case, for for one thing, it seems like you do have these sessions broken down to beginner, intermediate, and advanced. So you're already signalling that there is expertise that you you're tapping into. I suppose the question is, how how can you have those two? I, I suppose you could say, yeah, you can hold two opposing views of the same premise. But can you explain to me how you sort of run those two opposing points of view?
1: I'm sorry, I don't understand what the two opposing point of view are. Can you just ex- expand on that a bit? Yeah,
0: so the one on the one hand, which is that the uh, the actual drumming on its own is that it's agnostic of expertise. So you come as you are. You can yeah, yeah. have a master drummer sitting amongst yeah, yeah. the beginners. It's sort of, um, you know. Lace them together. Yep. Um, but you're also saying that we want to break you down in
1: capabilities. Okay. So I, I mean, there's so many different applications for African drumming. I mean, and our approach to schools is different to other, you know, at-risk youth um, organizations. It's different to team building. It's, it's, it's. It, we have a different formula for all these different applications. So if we're talking about schools, we we're really we're big on actually isolating the different you know year levels so if a school comes to us and say we want to have a drumming session with 400 kids we want all the all the drum all the all the year levels to be in as one I would push back and say hey look I don't really think um, this is the best way to do it if possible can we split the year levels so maybe prep and one are in one class two and three are in another three and four are in another if possible because that will allow us to get more out of the experience for the students. So they will get more out of it if, rather than um, trying to put everyone into the, into the one, you know, class. Having said that, some, some schools just want the whole school holistically to have an experience together and that is, that is the most important thing. So, yeah, when we listen to that, you know, and the other thing that happens is sometimes when you get a group of, of drumming students together, whether it be in a school or not in a school, you know, you do get different levels, and as a teacher, I used to love that challenge of having different levels in the one class, and the challenge of being able to, you know, maximise the experience and the learning for the raw beginner that's in that class, and then also for the person that's been doing that class for twelve weeks already, who have, you know, have already got some skills, and being able to not create an environment where one is really bored because they've been there before or yeah. the raw beginners are really feeling out of their depth and intimidated and like they don't, they're not picking up anything so that's really a skill that 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 a teacher a good teacher develops over time is that capacity to recognize those those different levels and be able to maximize the experience for all the different levels in the in the group And I certainly, when I'm picking and choosing what teachers are working on the events that we run, whether it be a community class or a a school experience, I always bear that in mind, you know, what teacher is, is best suited to this experience for this particular group. You know, we run on average 20 plus events every week. You've got over 50 subcontractors that work for us around Australia. I know all of those personalities very intimately and I know what their teaching capabilities are and I know what their cultural backgrounds are that is one of the keys to our delivery is that we make sure we get the right person on the job for each group
0: i've seen your aptitude with the whole drumming yeah and it's 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 pretty good it's pretty you know (laughs) full-on you know um and uh the question for you and i kind of touched on this a little bit in a question earlier is wouldn't someone else be feeling like i'm pretty on par with some of the guys from west africa who are teaching this stuff who are doing this stuff um yeah. w- why the need to you know go back and try to lift your game even higher oh well, i suppose <laughs> suppose it's what, what
1: motivates you you know like there's always a bit of healthy competition i mean you know in the djembe follow world i mean if you want to break it down there's always this thing in the djembe follower world, you know, a djembe follower is a professional djembe player. They've got quite the reputation for being very flamboyant, very alpha male, very, you know, competitive, you know, the, the, the ruler of their band, the ruler of their roost. And, you know, and and with that comes a certain amount of, you know, status and... and um, respect I suppose or, or, or what they would perceive as being respect you know that they would hope to have and you know the concept of a master drummer as well is a very interesting construct so yeah there's there's very a lot of people are very driven to, to get to that level but I you know the ego plays into a lot of this a lot of the time and and that the, you know the, the, the masculinity can, can be a bit out of control at times in this world of Of African drumming you know and you see see it quite a lot Mm. Um, and for me the the people that I'm attracted to and the ones that I end up learning from the most and are the ones that really are very comfortable in themselves and don't feel the need to poppycock and, and display their ego and they're just very much in themselves and they play music that comes from the heart rather than the head and the ego and they're, to me, the, the best musicians, inevitably, and, and the best teachers, the greatest sharers of the music. So, you know, I, I always find that they, people like that are sort of self-motivated to keep learning because, you know, learning is infinite. If you put a ceiling on your capacity to learn, then really, I think you're missing out on, on the, you know, the, your, your own potential. Also, the capacity to learn from other people. For me it's sharing. We we we're, we're sharing music and I feel like I'm a conduit. I'm I'm a conduit for rhythm and 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 what I've learned culturally and musically. I'm just a conduit. I'm passing it on. If anyone ever comes to me for a rhythm, I want to share it. I, I I find it really strange when people want to want to control and and hold hold Traditional music, because traditional music oh. is coming from a very ancient source, and it should be passed oh. around with respect and discipline. You know, it's it's no one's to guard and to keep. You know, so yeah, I, I don't know if that answers
0: your question, but um, and um, do you uh, how would I ask this? What how do you on the aspect of cultural appropriation? How do you address that? Because I, I mean, I would tell you personally, I don't think that I see any cultural appropriation in this particular aspect, but if I tabled it to a listener, they go, oh yeah, white guy goes in, you know, co-ops our culture, makes a killing, and none of that is either transmitted or plowed back into the originators, how would you address that person?
1: We were questioned from various sources yeah. because, yeah, look, you know, I'm 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 a white guy, um, and um, I've been to been to West Africa 28 times. I've spent you know a lot of my life there, and funnily enough, my my great grandfather spent over 50 years in West Af- in Africa. Um, I I the way I look at all of this is very much it ties back to this cross cultural exchange thing, you know and I have a lot of African friends and and I like to think that all of those relationships are very much um, supportive of one another and are very much respectful of one another and understanding and I've, I've made it my mission to really go deep to the source, go to the ceremonies, go to the festivals, go to the, the baptisms, the circumcision festivals, the weddings, the, the funerals, um, and, and, and go deep into all those all those ceremonies ori- originally to understand the music, you know, because the music um, is so ingrained into all the cultural, it's woven through the culture so much that if you really want to go deep into the music, you have to go deep into the culture. You have to go deep into the the dance. And if you go into the dance, you go into things like the mask wearing, the ceremonies that I went to and all the different I kept seeing these incredible dancers coming out on stilts or wearing these amazing raffia masks or these incredibly carved ornate things strapped to their heads which they were swinging round in these very abrupt motions and You know, I went to a lot of fetish ceremonies. Some people use the term voodoo ceremonies, you know, and I, uh, all of these things have really educated me and got me quite deep inside the culture, you know, um, of a lot of these different ethnic groups across West Africa because I was so interested in what was driving the music and where was the music coming from. And, you know, on a spiritual level as much as on a polyrhythmic level, you know, because I made a point of travelling to seek out as many master drummers as I could and living with them in their communities with their families for you know three four five six weeks at a time you know and right. and I did that in great depth over over a ten year period you know from a cultural appropriation thing none of none of that was being driven by money none of it none right. of it was being driven by a fascination and a passion I was lost Like I went to Melbourne Uni I started commerce I wasn't interested in it one iota I was increasingly interested in rhythm And polyrhythm yeah. And the cha- and, and drumming And I, I've, always, I've always loved drumming You know My mum was a DJ it was, it was in my blood So If you're passionate about something And you really go deep into it And you love it And you immerse yourself into it You know people's who have challenged my company over the years on a cultural appropriation level i feel that i can always say look with this experience that i've been through has come a lot of a lot of very special experiences and and they have been cultural richness there's been there's been emotional richness there's been musical richness and there's been some financial richness has come with it if i look at my uh, the company at african drumming we've got two chileans working upstairs i've got a israeli is my general manager i've got a brazilian drum maker i've got a ghanaian drum maker Uh, a a team in indonesia we've got a team in guinea we've got a team in burkina faso Um, a lot of guys in ghana you know we've got a a, an irishman downstairs working for us two italians well
0: um Oh, I thought this was going to be the last, that was going to be the last question, but you being from Australia and multiple times going to um, that part of West Africa, which is haunted with a crazy history of um, the past, you know, 17th century, I'm sure you've visited some of those sites. Um, Now, you... Someone else might just say, "Look, uh, you know, I'm just gonna cut off my ancestry at Australia. We had nothing to do with that. Uh, <laughs> Therefore, you are washed of the guilt." Or you might just sort of, you know, immerse yourself and say, "You know, uh, let me reflect on this because I do have an ancestry that stretches beyond the the 1788 fleet boat." And and if you have done that reflection, what, do you have have you had any thoughts on that or or?
1: You know, I mean, my as I said to you earlier, my great-great-grandfather worked in across Africa for the British colony. He was the head of the West African High Court for many years, Um, and you know, there's a certain colonial um, association with all of that. And I've been fascinated by what what his role was in, you know, Botswana, Nigeria, Ghana, all of these places. You know, I mean, I. I've seen some incredible photos of him sitting in amongst, you know, in Nigeria and Lagos in the high court there, surrounded by West Africans, and there's this white guy there, and they're all dressed in their, you know, legal, their judges' uniforms, you know. <laughs> and, and, and I've asked myself, how did this guy fit in? What was his relationship with the lo- with the local communities, you know? Because I'm conscious of, of the past. I'm conscious of yeah. what's, what's gone on with um, the the slave trade, the pillaging yeah. uh, and all of that dark history that you know we don't need to go into now. And, and there, there are wiser people that have written and, and looked at all of this and, and but I, I have gone um, to many many places in West Africa and, and tried to understand you know um, what though what went on um, yeah. and to learn about it. Um, and I have been shocked and and saddened yeah. by, by by you know the experiences I've had there, and I felt a very deep emotional response being in you know places, you know those port those port towns, you know, um, yeah. and those slave ports. And I, I've been to them, and I've experienced that. And I and when I take my students there, I do make a point of taking them there because I think it's really important that we um, we learn about the history. There's a musical component to that history as well, which I'm also oh, right. I also find fascinating. You know, yeah. I mean, I, I'm fascinated by the the journey of the slaves to from West Africa to South America and to yeah. you know the Americas and that whole journey and all these different styles of drumming, like Candomble style drumming in Uruguay. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, there's there's so many different things that come off the back of that. You know, um, that has been another a separate journey that I've that I've had to explore. Um, for myself because my family has had some history there as well you know Um, yeah
0: Oh, thank you so much, Simon. Uh, I do not want to end on that sort of uh, sordid topic, but we just <laughs> doing that. Doing that, but it is what it is. It's really lovely to chat to you, mate. I
1: love to catch up with you um, in a less formal manner at some stage. You, you, are you based in
0: Melbourne? I am based in Melbourne. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Cool. No worries. Let's stay in touch. All right. Cool. Thanks, mate. Take it easy, Chris. All right. chas. Bye. <laughs>
2: So that's what I do everyday life. <laughs> Fred. 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 Yeah. 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 Awesome, mate. You can check me on One Spirit Africa. One Spirit Africa? Yeah. yeah. Awesome, mate. Thanks, <laughs> awesome, mate.
0: You have heard Simon outline the various ceremonies he found to be enjoined with drumming on his many trips to Africa. And we also heard Fred tell us earlier that drumming in Africa goes on for hours at a time only to be intruded by hunger. With such an impossible task of enticing drummers away from their djembes, one wonders whether the appeal for African cuisine benefits from the task of luring its subjects or whether it suffers from it, given that food, if you believe the drummers, is purely a source of nourishment as opposed to enjoyment. That's next time as we continue with Nice Black Aussies, Nice Black Aussies is produced by myself and recorded at the State Library of Victoria. Music used is that of Franco and Rochereau, Fari Athman, Jeffrey Oriema, The Loom, Suku Stars and Kanda Bongoman.